0: It's time for another retro throwback sidetrack bonus episode of The Hive Jive. This bonus episode, titled Ancient Apiaries, Methane Gas, and Brazilianized Bees, originally aired on Patreon on August 13th, 2020. Enjoy!
1: Hey, all you Hive Jive junkies out there, it's a time again. Join our hosts, John Swan and Ken Milam. For another bonus edition of the Hive Jive.
0: Morning. How are you? I am good. That chick um, was hot
1: yesterday in that suit. Were you doing?
0: Uh, huh. I was a cat on a hot tin roof. <laughs> uh, that's right. You
1: were thirty feet in the air. You were three stories up.
0: Yeah, it was it was up there quite a ways we had a 38 foot ladder and uh, the we did good in the morning and then about I don't know 12 one o'clock the sun switched over to where it was then shining directly on that side of us yeah and uh, you know it was metal so it was made it very bright made it very hot
1: yeah yeah uh,
0: my um whole body hurts today I bet all the Yeah, all the stabilizer muscles and stuff that I was having to use to keep myself in place up there was uh, not fun, but that was what we ended up deciding was the, uh, that was the finishing point. Uh, We still have to put the soffit back together and catch any of the stragglers and everybody that came back and then undo all of the little uh, cheats and stuff that we did to basically get ourselves up there and be able to stay up there, so we've got to go back today to do all that, but... I couldn't hold myself up anymore, and uh, it was hot, and I had already been stung more times than I could count. So I was like, "I'm done. <laughs> I'm done for today." I bet. How many? How many colonies? It's just one.
1: Just one. It, it
0: was yeah, but it was a very awkward position on where it was at, which is what made it so difficult. Really, um, the picture that she had originally sent looked like it was. It, I mean, it, so it's it's two stories up, and then above that second story is another like loft. So there's, there's like this dormer area up there. So it's truly a third story, but from the photo, it made it look like that dormer window came out, you know, basically within a foot of the edge of the roof. And in reality, it was like six foot from the edge of the roof. So even, you know, we thought we were gonna be able to just set the ladder up there, and climb up and then work on it directly from the ladder. But in reality, the ladder was just to get to the second story roof. And then we had to figure out how to get up to the third story window. So yeah, there was, there was lots of uh, stop and redo and stop and redo. Cause we had our ladder and we had already decided we were going to, this is where things start sounding. Uh, not, not all that great. Mm. Um, we were going to back the truck up to the garage, and then we were going to put the ladder in the back of the truck because the ladder is a 20-foot ladder, and that would have made it about 23-foot, which is about right exactly where we thought we needed to be based on the photos that were sent. Mm -hmm. And uh, even doing that, though, you know, that just barely got us to the edge of the roof. Mm -hmm. So then we were like, okay, we, we are going to need the bigger ladder. So we went and um they had an option of a 24 foot and a 38 foot and i was like let's do the 38 foot so we we rented a super big ladder and took it out there and got it all hooked up to do it but i got i had uh two stings in the face where the way that i had to be positioned i had so in those windows up there up against your cheek or your chin it was my cheek yeah um and it wasn't the screen in the front, it was the mesh on the side. Oh that they were all yeah, they were all in the mesh on the side. And so we had the the windows, the dormer windows were open, and Jorge was inside the dormer room, so he got to have like nice air conditioning and stuff. <laughs> and we had all of our tools and equipment in that room, and then he could just pass things out the window to me, and I could pass the comb and stuff in the window to him. Um, but a lot of the times I had my arm kind of wrenched around inside that window, bracing myself to help support my weight and hold me up there. And I would have to crank my head back at this funny angle. And when I would, the bees would like it, the, that part touched my face. So I got one like right in the, the peak of the cheekbone. And then the next one was about an inch away from that further up closer to the eye. Mm -hmm. Um, both of those were not fun, uh, not fun adventures whatsoever. No. Um, yeah, so that was that was that that sucked. I got stung so I so I put on three different pair of nitrile gloves. And the point of that was because the first pair sucks and they tear very easily. Mm-hmm. Then I put a thicker pair over the top of that and then I put another pair of the sucky pair over the top of that and that's because when I get up there and I start doing stuff, when we start taking the comb out and we get honey all over us, mm-hmm. I can when I'm done, I can just peel off that outer layer, and then I've got clean gloves that aren't sticky right. or slippery, right. so that I can you know climb back down ladders and things like that. But I got stung in the hands um, at least ten or fifteen times, and that was through three pairs of gloves. Good guys. So yeah, the very first sting, which on my hands is the only one that's still swollen up this morning. The very first sting was actually before I ever put any gloves on, and it was when I climbed up the ladder. So, all we had done is put the ladder up against the side of the house, and I climbed up the ladder to look at the pitch of the roof and the angle to try to figure out what we were going to do, and I immediately got stung on the hand. (laughs) So, that tells you what their disposition was and uh, kind of says, yeah, there's warm skin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was that was pretty much the disposition Tagged of them. you, real and... quick. <laughs> yeah. So, anyhow, um, so we talked about um, my my crazy removal. We got that out of the way. So um, let's uh, let's jump over here real quick. I'm going to read you this article, and we mentioned this on the main segment this week on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, this was kind of interesting. I hadn't really thought about it. And the, the, the other half of what he suggests is something that could potentially be done, but, um, but we'll see. So, all right. So this came from Matthew and Matthew says, good morning. I recently started listening to your podcast and I find it very informative, interesting, and helpful. From what I have gathered so far, you prefer a horizontal style or top bar style hive over the vertical Langstroth style hives. I wanted to reach out to you because you are a master beekeeper and you have a preference and experience with horizontal hives. I came across an archaeological publication where some archaeologists found an ancient early Israelite. I probably didn't say that mm-hmm. right. Yeah, Israelite city. Israelite. Called Israelite. 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 Mm-hmm. city called Tel Rahav, R-E-H-O-V. These ruins are unique in that they are the oldest intact apiary ever found. Wow. They made clay horizontal hive bodies that have an entrance hole on one side and then an access lid on the opposite side. The clay hive bodies were stacked on top of each other in rows of threes, and there were rows facing north, south, east, and west. The apiary was organized in a very space-efficient manner so that when going down any given row, the person could access the rear portion of the hive to gain entrance to the bees without being near the actual entrance where the bees were coming and going. Wow. The archaeologist did an analysis of some of the bees found inside of these clave hive bodies and they found that these were not native bees to the region. They were actually bees or bee strains that were from up to 300 miles away. Good gosh. My alder. This and Yeah. Well, this indicates that they had a need for queen bee and honeybee trade even back in their time, which was about 3,000 years ago. <laughs> um, so he wanted to share the publications with us. And... This is where, this is the part that I'm not necessarily sure about. I haven't went in and read any of the publications yet to see, but he's proposing uh, a little different course of action here. He said that, I wanted to share some of these publications with you, and I would like to see if you would be interested in recreating these ancient clay hive bodies. We could potentially learn a lot about ancient beekeeping techniques by recreating their apiaries and learning how their apiaries and hives worked and how they managed their hives. Um, we may actually be able to contribute some valuable information and knowledge to the archaeological field and history to beekeeping. And then he gives these, uh, these different things. And he says, if you're potentially interested in recre- recreating the conditions and style of the ancient apiaries and learning about the techniques that they used, please let me know. I'd be more than happy to reach out to some of the archaeologists. And maybe we could come up with a way to contribute to the further understanding of ancient beekeeping. Who knows? Maybe the data that is collected could then be used in a publication itself one day. Thanks, Matthew. Um, And then he's got three different links in there to, to some of these things. So that is that's interesting, huh? Yeah, it is. You know who would be a good
1: one to talk about that and as we talk about it we could say, well, you know, Les was talking about them putting in the pipe in the in the adobe that the houses that they built and they would have a little hole coming outside, but they have a four inch or a whatever size the pipe was. You unscrewed it in the house, put a little smoke in it. Bees left, you reached in there with a spoon, took out the comb and honey and then you put the lid back on there, and then bees come back.
0: <laughs> so well, there's there's a lot of people that are very much horizontal beekeeping. Um, there's a gentleman in Missouri that is actually he was originally going to be one of our keynote speakers for the um, 2020 fall convention here in Texas, and he may still be. We're working on converting all that over to a digital format. And I'm waiting on him to respond with whether or not he has the the technology and stuff to be able to do that. But was that your turkey call going off? Yeah, it was my phone. Somebody texted me after <laughs> we Um so but he he is um he is the the horizontal hive guy and, and that's his whole thing and that's what he teaches on is horizontal beekeeping and horizontal hives. And then Les is the top bar guy. Yeah. And he teaches on you know top bar beekeeping, which is still a horizontal style hive. It's just not using frames or foundation. Um, but yeah, so there's there are several individuals out there that uh, that may be able to to contribute in some way to that. But making the hives out of clay That's and going through yeah that that would be the that'd be the trick I would think would be doing that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, also. I wonder, and again, we don't know because we haven't done it, but I wonder how insulating that would be. Well, the, uh, I'm,
1: the ones that I got, that long line, lang- it's made out of two-inch uh, seed. Yeah, but it's made out of wood. It's, it's made, made out, out of wood. wood. It's not made out of clay,
0: no. Right. And, and what I'm thinking of is like a terracotta clay pot, um, you know, can dry out a plant in the soil very quickly because it gets hot and it bakes it. So... I'm kind of wondering, and I, I don't, I've never been to Israel, so I don't know, but when I see the pictures of it, I assume it can be very hot and dry. That's dry. So if it gets just as hot as it does here, and they were able to make clay hives and the bees were able to survive, then, you know, there there has to be some sort of insulating properties to it mm-hmm. that make it to where it still is okay. Or Or... You know, I, I don't know, maybe it helps hold the moisture, and that's what helps regulate it. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of different possibilities with it, but it is interesting. Um, and the bees here are, you know, they happily build into stone columns of fences and houses and, you know, the columns of porches, and they're all brick and stone, and the bees are just happy as can be, so who knows? Yep.
1: Yep. I mean, they they moved into that pipe, that cast-iron pipe uh, Granted, it was about 10 to 12 inch, you know, around, but I had a eight frame sitting right there on top with B, you know, with a a swarm commander in there. The whole nine works, nine yards with frames. Nope. They picked and went in the pipe. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that was just because uh, the box got put up too late in the the scouting process. yeah. Yeah, I think in that specific regard, had the box been there before the scouts ever found the birdbath, they would have been looking at the box and uh, and would not have worried about the birdbath at all. But um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's true. They they did choose a, a stone pipe. Um, there, we got a call for a removal that I haven't gone out to, to do a look at it yet. Um, I'm actually, I think we're going to take a break for the last part of September and the first or sorry, the last part of August and the first part of September, because I have a lot of duties and responsibility that have been put on me for the Texas Beekeepers Association as well as the Texas Honey Bee Education Association for some promotional materials, advertisements, videos for some things that they're working on. Mm-hmm. And I have zero time to stop and do any of it. And so we're going to... We've got one more appointment that is already on the books, I think. Well, we're, we're booked up through next Saturday. And then after that, um, we, we're we not going to be taking any more for a little while so that I can get caught up on some of this other stuff. Um, but anyhow, so... There, but there's a guy out there that wants us to come out and look and... He was telling me that they're out in a field, and he sent some photos, and the only thing you can see in the photos are, I don't know, three or four inch PVC plumbing type pipes. Really? They're, I mean, they're a decent sized pipe, but, so you know when they do, when they bury um, garbage underground, when they do the landfills and things like that? Right. They put on those exhaust pipes so that the methane can come out? Right. Well, that's kind of what it looks like. And I asked him, I said, what is buried out there that you've got these these three or four random PVC pipes that are capped that come up out of that ground? Those are usually for some method of venting or gaining access to it. And, uh, and I said, because the bees, there's only been one other time that I've removed bees from a straight up pipe. And it was a, a cast iron big, big old pipe that was over at an angle that somebody had used for fence posts basically and they were all the same they were all open at the top but this one had been hit by a tractor and was off at an angle Mm -hmm. and apparently that angle provided just enough protection from the elements and the sun that the bees decided to build their comb inside that stupid pipe wow um but these guys they're straight up they're not leaning over they look like they all have caps on them Um, but I'm assuming there's some sort of vent system that they can get into. And I told him, I said, well, it's, it's very odd for honeybees to choose just a little pipe. That's not going to have a lot of volume. I said, now if that pipe is leading to a bigger chamber or cavity, they could go down there and they could build into that. That could be possible, but it's also just as possible that it's yellow jackets. I mean, you know, it, it could be wasps of some sort. And he was like, well, every time, you know, we go out there and we mow around that, you know, they come after us and they get us. And I'm like, well, that that could still be the same for honeybees or wasps, either one, if they've got a colony in there. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have to go out and take a look. But he did say that it goes to their septic system. Mm -hmm. And the septic system is then pumped out and sprayed out onto the pasture. And I was like, see, I just I can't imagine bees building into a pipe that's going to be full of methane gas. Nor can I imagine how to get them out of there because it's full of methane gas. Um, yeah, so that that's a that's a scenario though that is it's one of those odd little, you know, they did choose to build in a, a pipe potentially if they truly are honeybees. Um, but we've still got to go out there. I've got to find a day here, uh, I guess this coming week, and uh, go out there and take a look and see because you know, fingers crossed. I'm hoping that they're not honeybees. <laughs> that's the easiest solution. They're, that's going
1: to have an airspace to the top of it, so it can trap the air, the gas to come off and go into the pipe. So they have built across the top of that thing, and yeah, that might be a tough one.
0: Well, it's uh, if that's the case, I'm not doing it.
1: <laughs>
0: uh-uh. <laughs> that's why I said I'm hoping I'm I'm going to get out there, and they're not honeybees at all, and and we can just call it good because I'm not going to go trying to open up some some active septic system to to get bees out of it um that's just not not going to happen well tell
1: tell them to put screen wire around it and put uh,
0: around the vent and put it back down yeah something Yep. um that may be the the only thing that can be done and it's unfortunate because obviously you know then the bees that are trapped in there will die but at the same time Who in their right mind makes a damn home inside of a septic system that's actively being used? (laughs) Uh,
1: uh, Mean bees, because they're underground and that's Africanized bees. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So on the subject of Africanized bees, here's a talking point. Um, And this will probably, I'm going to set you up. This could really get all of us in trouble. Um, I was listening to another podcast uh, Mandy Shaw, and she does Beekeeper Confidential, and her last episode that she released had one of the beekeeping associations from Florida, and it had, you know, three or four different members on there, but the president of the association, who they affectionately call Queenie, um, made a remark about with all the social unrest and upheaval and everything that's going on currently in the United States and in the world overall, um, we, you know, they've been going and they've been changing the names of a lot of things that were based on, you know, Confederate heroes or people that were (laughs) pro-slavery. Yeah. And she brought up the fact that the term Africanized bee is a derogatory term. Because we call it killer bee, and we're saying it comes from Africa, and it's Africanized. Therefore, anything from Africa is bad or negative or, again, quote-unquote, killer. (laughs) Um, And so it's putting these negative connotations onto it to a bee that is just super defensive. Mm -hmm. And in reality, there are three to five different individual species of bees that are all, you know, honeybees mm-hmm. in Africa. And when the scientists went over and captured these queens to, or drones, whichever they ended up doing, to bring back and mate with the other bees to do the crossbreeding that then inevitably created what we are calling the Africanized bee, mm-hmm. they thought they had a completely different race of bee. Of bee. They were going for, you know, apis And I don't remember the specific classification of it. But what they got was Apis scutellata, And that was not what they were looking for. They weren't trying to get the scutellata bee. They were trying to get this other bee. And so that was the first mishap in this whole adventure was the specimen they brought back was not identified properly and ended up being another species which was highly aggressive and defensive. And they brought it back. Did their crossbreeding, which generated the Apis mellifera scutellata, so it's Apis mellifera subclass scutellata instead of just Apis scutellata. Um, it's crossed with the Apis mellifera and the Apis scutellata. So there's lots of fun words in here, but Apis mellifera Apis mellifera scutellata is the actual true name of the Africanized bee. And so what she was saying is that we should all be more cognizant, um, just like we need to dispel some of the the urban myths, you know, like the killer bees and things like that that go along with it, we also need to be more cognizant of what words and names we put to things and what they're implying and what they mean because it has a name. It's scutillata. Um And so it's it's Apis mellifera scudolata. I mean, we could say it's I Scudolata-ized <laughs> instead of scooties. We just call them scooties. Scooters. Yeah, Scooties or Scooters. Yeah, Scooters um, or Scooties. Scooties. Yeah, they're Scooties. <laughs> So and but see, that could be that that's the, that is more accurate and that could be more of the truth of it. Um, but I heard that and I was like, wow, I don't know about that. And I I, I mean, I don't think it's wrong. I don't think that it's it's wrong to want to go through and change that and do that. I think that it's going to be uh, like anything else in our culture. It will absolutely be an uphill climb because it's taken us. Well, actually, I was going to say it's taken us this long and there's still instances of News media reporting killer bees, even though we've been trying and trying and trying to get people not to call them killer bees because they have just as much capacity to harm somebody as a normal European honeybee colony. Um, It's just that they react quicker and they send out more guards faster than a European or a European colony would. And and a movie made them famous. Yeah, yeah. You know, then you had the movie. Killer bees! So it's uh, it's just one of those situations where, you know, it's it's damned if you do damned if you don't. But I do think that she did have a valid point um, and we could we could go through and start calling them like you Ladies. said, Scooties, Scooties <laughs> or, or, or Scooters, Scooties or Scooters. Those bees have cooties. <laughs> yeah. Scooters. What are they?
1: Scooters? What's well, a scooter? <laughs> they're scooters. Uh, they're, they're a bee that came from South America, that came through Central America, that came through Mexico and made it to South South Texas and then along the southern part of the United States. They're scooters. Yeah. Scooting well, all the way up Brazil.
0: <laughs> yeah. But see, and technically that is... That is the truth of it right there is they originated in Brazil because the Apis scutellata originated in Africa and Apis mellifera originated in the Asian continents and uh, in Europe. And you take that and you bring them together in Brazil and you crossbreed them and you get Apis mellifera scutellata which did not exist in either other region prior to that. Mm-hmm. So they're really Brazilianized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> works for me. It works for me. No, uh, but I mean, it, it is something that uh, I think we could we could be a little bit more cognizant of. Um, you know, we can say, and in 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 reality, that was another one of the PR spins on things. Is they're not highly aggressive; they're uber defensive. Yeah. 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 Because they're guarding, quote unquote, so they're they're you can say they're not actively looking to get you because they're guarding, but at the same time, because they're guarding, they don't even give you a warning shot; they just immediately sting you. It's like like I said when I did the removal, I climbed up the ladder, and this is also a great indication. They were what thirty foot in the air; mm-hmm. they were in an enclosed cavity. So those two things should have indicated more of a European attitude than the Scudalata attitude. Um, And yet I put the ladder up on the edge of the house. I climbed up. I stuck my hand on the roof and I got stung. I mean, and she hit me three times. She hit my finger and I shook my hand and she jumped up to my knuckle and I shook it again. And then she jumped up in between the two knuckles on my fist and stung me there. You know, like, I was trying to get her off of me, and she was—but she was actively, like, when I saw her the first time, she would have got me, but she hit my fingernail. So she could—because she curled her butt, and she was hitting, but she couldn't get me because of the fingernail. And I shook her off my hand, and then she just, you know, came right back and then did it again. And I was—the whole time, I was like, no, 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 no! But it didn't work.
1: <laughs> yep, she, she tagged you. Put, the, yeah. put the pheromone on you.
0: When I got stung in the face— When I got stung in the cheek the first time, um, I, you know, I said a bad word and was holding on to the side of the the house and had my arm in through the window and kind of thrashed around for a minute and then got it. You know, I was like, okay well, that sucked. That really hurt. And then it was it was about 10 minutes later. So like the pain had just subsided from the first one one and it was still tender and sore. Yeah. And then the second one got me about an inch away. And that one, man, I, I like. I knew it was coming, and I was tr- I was flailing, trying to like get the, the veil away from me in time, um, but it it didn't happen. But when you're thirty foot in the air and you're literally being held up by uh, the sides of your boots as they're kind of positioned against a wooden barrier, and your other arm that is inside of a window. Uh, it's not a good place to be cussing and screaming and flailing yeah. because, yeah, you you just go right off the edge. <laughs> Luckily, that didn't happen, um, and hopefully won't happen today because I, I get to go out there and uh, and undo all the other stuff that we did today. So that'll be fun. Do
1: you smell yeah. the the banana smell when they tag you?
0: I smell it when they get um, when they start trying to sting through the suit, but they can't actually get you. Yep. that's when I smell it. And it, it gets strong enough in some of these colonies that do have the Scudolata genetics to them. It gets strong enough that, like, when I said, I was like, ooh, I can smell the pheromones, Jorge was inside the building, and he he was like, yep, I can smell it. It, it smells like bananas. Um, but there's some people that don't. that can't actually smell that. They can't pick it up actually that actually does scent.
1: all the time, but I can't. I can't pick it up.
0: Yeah yeah it's uh it it really just kind of depends on the individual but yes I can smell it and usually it is when they are so riled up that they're they're all over you you've got five or six of them on the sides of your veil or on the screen of the veil and they're all poking in you can see a little drop of venom on their stinger as they're like actively trying to get you that's usually when you can smell it the most when mm-hmm. it's as prolific um. Every once in a while, but when I get stung, though, like when I, when one single bee stings me like in the hand, I usually don't pick up on it. Nope. I don't smell it then. I only smell it when it's in when there's a bunch of mass them. quantities. Yeah. yeah, When you can't see out of the veil. <laughs> I've definitely had those situations for sure. Those are the not fun ones. Yeah. Um, How many bees this one, in that
1: colony? Well, they had the veil covered. Oh, <laughs> how many bees does it take to cover a veil? More than it takes to cover a frame.
0: <laughs> well, the uh, so the worst one that I ever did was the that funny little story that I told about where it looked like a cartoon where they came out in five tentacles out of five different places in the hive and came for me. Um, that was the day that I watched my white suit turn black. Mm. Um there was not a spot of me that was not covered in bees. I, I look like a giant bee monster. Um, and that was scary. That was a a truly, like, oh my God, kind of scary moment. Um, but being suspended 30 foot in the air on a roof with a steep pitch is also scary. Yeah. And Amen. Jorge was, you know, yeah, and the bees are mean and they're stinging you. And there's st- obviously when you get stung, your reaction is to jerk or swing or to do something. And you can't do that because that other hand is holding you up there. But Jorge felt bad. And he was like, man, I just I feel like, you know, you went through hell out there and and you got beat up and everything. And and, you know, now you're all sore and whatnot. And I feel bad because I, I was like in this room. And I was like, dude, don't feel bad. First off, I would have given anything to be in that damn room. Like, there, there's no shame in that whatsoever. You do all of this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there, there, was, uh, there was no shame in that at all. You had air conditioning. It was great. Yes, there were some bees in the room with you. But, you know, you didn't have to be, like, in all these really just ridiculous and dumb positions um, out there trying to get this stuff out of there. And And in all honesty, it would not have been a good scenario. And I I wasn't comfortable doing it. Therefore, I'm not gonna put any of my employees in that position of having them do it. Because if I'm not comfortable with it, we're either not doing it or I'm the one that's gonna do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't want to put them at risk or have anything like that happen. So MJ and, and Jorge and things like that, it's like, no, you know, sorry guys, we're we're not doing that. Um, and I also know each of their boundaries and you know, what they are comfortable with and what they're not. And I'm not going to force them into a situation where they're going to lock up and be terrified, you know, and then increase the risk of somebody getting hurt. So, but yeah, I, I was out there. I did a video, posted it on, uh, on social media this weekend <laughs> saying, uh, I had one of those moments where I stopped and I was like, you know, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> <I bet. laughs>
1: like, you know, I guess we could call them instead of Africanized bees, we call them daughters of Satan.
0: Well, I don't know either on that. <laughs> I, did, I did have that colony that I did refer to that as. that They, they were mean. Um, <laughs> 30,000 guard bees. Yeah. And that's the thing that gets me when you're in. And you don't see it so much when you're working a colony, right? But when you're doing a removal, you see it. And you see it. It is so interesting the way that it comes out of there because it's in waves you have um like you've got the vac and our vac again is attached to a containment unit and you're going across the comb and you suck up there's all the bees that are just hanging down out of the comb and like overfilling the space and you suck up all these excess bees and you would think that you know the guard bees are all on the peripheral of the comb anyway so you got all the guard bees and then the next time you put your hand up there it's like a whole nother wave of fighter jets just come shooting out of there and your hand is immediately covered again, and you're getting stung. <laughs> and then you do the next one, and another wave comes. And you're like, I have vacuumed 50% of the bees out of this colony, and yet every time I put my hand up there, it is another wave of bees that jump out of the colony and attack my hand. You know, And that's the difference is that they all react. They all act as a guard instead of like, hey, sorry, my job is over here. Y'all have fun. You know, but Just leave me out of it. A
1: defensive um, position.
0: Yeah, they're they're all Uber defensive and they all they emit more pheromone and they react their their reaction level to the pheromone is much higher than a regular bee's reaction. So a regular bee, it takes them longer to release the pheromone and they release it in smaller quantities, and they have a higher threshold before they hit that point. And then the it's the complete opposite for the scudiladas, where they release a lot of pheromone. With very little provocation whatsoever, and they react immensely to the tiniest amount of pheromone, <laughs> so it's just overkill all the way around. Mm. But yeah, it's a uh, that is the weirdness that is the, the the bees that we have to deal with down here anyway. <laughs> so, well, uh, we we covered several things there. We we've talked numerous times about this weekend's adventures on the roof and. Talked about the horizontal hive uh, archaeological dig in Israel. Yeah, and that's,
1: uh, that's interesting, though.
0: It is interesting. I thought it was really cool. Before, I, you, I am before afraid- you get away,
1: on my uh, long lane, I've only got one hole that's about three-quarters of an inch. I think I need to cut it and make it uh, long and say about a half-inch tall. I need to make it about four inches long and about a half or I couldn't make it a three-quarter inch hole, for that matter, and uh, just but I need it. I think it needs to be three to four inches long, just for that many um, bees to come and go.
0: Well, so there's not going to be any more bees in that colony than there are any other colony. Just because the colony is a different shape and size, you're not going to have more bees in there. Your colony is still going to be, you know, thirty thousand average, sixty thousand at the peak of the the nectar flow. So. But what you could do, you can do it two ways. You can do the round openings and make it an inch opening and use one of the entrance discs. You can put a second opening if you think that they need, you know, once they've grown to where they get to that spot, you could do a second opening if you wanted to. So then you could double that. But you still have the round opening that would go with the entrance disc that then you can still change based on, you know, queen exclude and drone exclude and fully open and vent and all that. Um, but if you did a long opening, I would only do a three inch opening.
1: Okay. Because I'll, in I'll reality, right
0: yeah, in reality, they don't ever like, I don't know, what is it? Like, uh, 10 inches across or something like that for the front of a hive. Right. They never need an opening that big. No. Nope, ever.
1: Nope.
0: So the three inch opening is sufficient to allow them to come and go and do everything they need to. Um, the only downside with the long opening is you either have to do some sort of custom um, queen excluder, like cutting out the plastic and hooking over it if you ever truly wanted to put that on there. You know, you have some other challenges like that, but I just make mine round. I literally do it exactly the way I do a top bar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a round entrance, and I put the entrance disc over it and call it good. Okay, that'll work. All right. Well, anything else, sir? Any other it's questions? got me fixed up. All righty then. Well, uh, thank you all for tuning in to this bonus episode. And we will uh, talk with you all on Monday for another main segment of the Hive Jive itself. But until then, hope you have a great rest of your week, a wonderful weekend, and everybody be safe and be healthy. Be cool and stay healthy and safe,
1: family. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our hive jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.